ask me, but. All right, not in the fur shed. We are on the road, the uh, just outside of Bethel, Maine, and we're leaving Neil Olson's New England Trappers Weekend. This is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood, and I have a co-host with me. He's Cole Porter, but he's not the jazz musician that you think of when a lot of people have asked him this weekend about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I get that asked to me just about every time. <laughs> so anyway, um, the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cost Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z bros.com. They are a great trapping supply company, and uh, you can check them out on their website. You can sign up for their newsletter, and you, they make uh, lures and baits. They got all kinds of supplies, uh, great guys to deal with. And uh, I actually had a few comments on my shirt today. I have the Got Skunked, uh, cotsbros.com. It's a picture of an old-timer, probably a trapper with a skunk, and uh He's looking like he's just got sprayed. Uh, so, pretty funny shirt. I enjoy wearing it at the Trappers Weekend. So anyway, Cole, um, we are probably, let's do a little recap of some of the highlights of Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend. Because this is, uh, so Cole, Cole and I uh, worked together a little bit and just an introduction to him, he's been trapping only for how long? Uh, two years. This will be my third. So still kind of learning the ropes and, and getting experience. And Cole has an interesting perspective, I think. And I don't think, no, if we'll get, do this this episode because in the interest of time. Across the mile, continue on to Bridge Street. And you'll hear occasionally a British lady that is the uh, navigation uh, for the getting us back home. So I won't cut that out of here. We'll probably just roll with it and, and uh, keep things um, keep things going. So anyway, it, I, I'm interested in Cole's story because he learned it, it's he learned most of what he knows about trapping to this point, uh, at least getting started from the internet, from YouTube videos, and, and just a, a large proportion of his knowledge is was gained in a, a way that's a lot different than people my age and older. We we all started out um, typically by learning continue from on to people. Bridge Street, then continue straight on. So anyway, Cole's experiences thus far I think were pretty unique for uh, a lot of older trappers. Uh, not saying that I'm that old, but when I started trapping, there, the internet was just getting going, and there wasn't there was no YouTube. There wasn't a lot of uh, opportunity to, to learn from those sources. So for me, I had to wait to learn how to trap until someone nearby was willing to teach me. So I think in, in future episode, I'd like to uh, talk to Cole about kind of his journey, learning uh, how to be a trapper and, and uh, how that, uh, how that is, is going so far. But I thought we'd just talk about some of the highlights here of the Trappers Weekend. There was a lot going on. There actually still is a lot going on. Um, we we uh, we're getting quite a bit of rain, and we decided we didn't need to get soaked again in our tents. Um, but probably the the three big things in my mind uh, about this this whole event. You know, you're talking probably a couple thousand people going through. I thought the the attendance 
was a little bit down. Yeah, it seems it seems that way that the attendance was down from last year. And you know, we talked about maybe it's because there's a little bit of rainy weather. It could be that uh, you know the fur prices are, are terrible uh, in the tank. So it, it, who knows? It could be a combination of those things. But they're still you're still talking you know probably two thousand people I would guess. Uh, that's a lot of people going through um, probably one of the bigger conventions uh, of, of any in the, in the nation aside from the NTA and the three big things that I got from this event was the people you run into and a lot of it is like we both were there last year and there were some familiar faces just from last year people we met last year and that had been my first year back for about 14 years I believe and so the people you meet, the stuff you buy, <laughs> and the things that you learn uh, on the demos. Um, so what do you think, Cole? How about toys and tools and supplies? What'd you get? Well, I bought four traps. I bought... How'd two. you keep it to four? <laughs> I only bought four. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to save money this year, and I've already been buying traps around outside of this event. Um, so I'm trying to get more beaver traps. So I got two 330s and two number four jumps. Um, yeah, so we're both in the position where we're we're not going to coyote trap because of time, and and uh, it's a lot to get going all at once. It's a lot of supplies and, and road mileage on on the roads where like where where you're living. It, be a lot to run a coyote line right now. Yeah, it'd be difficult. Uh, a lot of it would be jumping around, just uh, as far as getting permissions. Um, it would be hard. You'd, I'd drive a lot of miles to get even probably 30 or 40 sets in. And on a 24-hour check, just isn't really feasible with work. So you're focusing on water trapping. Um, what else did you get? Yeah, so I got, uh, got some uh, different brackets for uh, 110s and one and a half coil spring traps for muskrat sets um, and then I got uh, some mink lore and that's about it for that and I also got a new flushing knife and a Ooh, flushing beam. Bit the bullet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get, we come, we're coming home with two neckers um, and those are not cheap but uh, you know, we, we avoided the shipping cost, uh, so that that kind of helped soften the blow a little bit. But you know, I borrowed a Necker 600 last year, last this past winter, and, and did uh, about 25 plus beavers with it, and and I just couldn't it spoiled now, couldn't go back. And you try, you had yep. one of the cheaper. Yep, knives. I had one of the cheaper knives, and I trapped my first beaver probably in March under the ice. And I went to go uh, try to flush it on a beam that was too small with a cheap knife. <laughs> and I learned very quickly that that was not going to work. So I ended up uh, doing them over my knee and struggled severely with larger beaver. <laughs> and that, that area that, of fat on near the tail is, is really tough to do over there. Yeah, that's right. Even though they were, you know, they had decent amount of fat on some of the younger beaver were easy to do over the knee it still took some time but uh, the big beaver um, 
yeah, it just didn't seem like the way to go, so I froze those. And that was from a YouTube video of a guy doing it over his yep. knee, right? Yeah, I watched a YouTube video of a guy doing it over his knee. I didn't have a knife that really replicated what he had, so I just sharpened the knife up real good and tried it, and it did work, uh, but it's not not easy if you don't have the right knife. Yeah, I remember my first uh, experience with that cheap knife. I think I, I paid $15 for it. It's a, you know just the little wooden handles with the wire just, uh, spun around the ends of it to hold the, the blade on and that soft metal. Boy, I started pushing on that first peaver hide and I must have pushed 50 times and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even take a bit of flesh off it. And uh, I thought that's just what it was. I just thought it was torture to do beaver. And that uh, turns out that if you have the right equipment, it doesn't have to be that bad. Um, I did learn a little bit from, uh, we, we talked with John Epler, we were doing some business with him, Epler Fur Company. And, and I know it, it, there are things that are, you feel so stupid when, when you actually, they come up and it's like, why haven't I done that before? And he, he looked at me, I, we were talking about flesh and beers, and, he, and I asked how he did it. And we're talking, and he says, are you bending over at all? And I said, well, yeah. He says, you're doing it wrong. So he, <laughs> he likes the, the fleshing beam right to where the point of it is right at your sternum. And for me, that would be awfully high. So I'm going to have to build a frame to get it up high. And, and it, seems, it seems really high, but like you said, you're pushing right on that uh, you're pushing from a really good point of leverage with your arms you don't have to push very far and you're it, it's just really it's more efficient you're not bending over at all so you don't uh, you know you don't stress your back out and if you got to bend over and stretch like I was doing every few minutes and no try to try to switch up the equipment and, and you, how you're doing things so we, we both got flushing knives uh, the brackets that you mentioned, Cole, um, those are the Hags brackets. Yeah, that's and, correct. And I never, I haven't used them yet. I've been, I've been hearing about them a lot. I listened. To, actually, um, Clint Locklear had Jeff, uh, Jeff Haggerty that makes those uh, J3 Outdoors. Yeah. And Clint had an interview with him from the NTA, as well as that new podcast I mentioned. Uh, what was that guy's name? The uh, Trapping Inc. I got the guy's name wrong on the last podcast episode. Uh, I'm sure someone will call me out on there. What did I call him? I think I think it's uh, Rich Mellon, Rich and Sandy Mellon. If I, maybe I get it wrong again, but anyway, uh, they interviewed Jeff as well about the hacks brackets. I like the story. I think it's pretty cool. They're kind of, they're expensive. Uh, I got them. I got them from actually from Trapper Don, who was a uh, he actually uh, he's from Connecticut. He does, uh, he does a bunch of uh, nuisance animal stuff, and he, get, he has a little booth there at Neil's every year. So that those hags brackets were, we just got the, I get the clips, you got the brackets yep. and the clips. Yeah, I bought both, um, I'm gonna try them out. I think I, I just recently picked up a bunch of one and a half coils, so I bought the brackets to go with those. And if you're not familiar with the brackets, it, I, it took me a while just hearing about them to actually understand what they did. I was just like, you know, why can't you just do what we always do? Just you know, get a wooden lathe or a lath and and stick the, the stick that in the springs, turn it sideways, and, and work off of that. But when I actually started, 
you know, looking at how they worked and and seeing other people use them and talk about them. It was actually pretty interesting. So the the ones I got were just the clips, and what, basically, basically what they do is allow you to quickly attach uh, your trap to a uh, a metal rod. I, I believe they're sized for three eighths rebar, yep. and so you can pretty much go into a spot and in an area where it otherwise might be difficult to make a set, you can just pound that re-rod in and you slide the clip. The clip is attached to the spring. Uh, I believe the, the eye of the spring, it kind of hooks in there and then you can just slide that clip up and down on the rebar and that allows you to uh, to adjust your set in the water and, and get uh, get it at the right water level, move it up and, up and down and, and it stabilizes uh, the, the conner bear. So those ones I'll be using with 110s, and, uh, and and like Cole said, the bracket allows him the bra the clip can go onto the bracket, um, but the bracket hooks into kind of on the base plate of your trap, so you can just slide that in. You can set your foothold trap, like those one and a halves, um, and you can set that right under the water level, and it's like makes it like a platform for the for them to uh, to step on and, and get at your bait. So hags brackets, we got lure, boy, we got a bunch of different lures. We uh, we talked to how many different people um, about lures, and I like trying different things and, and getting into a lot of a lot of different types of lures and gland lures and call lures and everything else. And there were one of the interesting things I found. One of the demos was uh, a guy Harry Seekins was talking about fox trapping and, and what he uses for lures, and he actually said. In my area, I get a lot of other trappers around, and I will actually, I will not use the brand name lures because I know all the new trappers are coming out and they're saying, well, the best lure is the the, the brand name, the, the ones that are most popular, so that's what I'll use. Well, he doesn't want to necessarily use the same lures as the other guy. He wants something different. So there's a lot of lure makers that are, are good and they make a good lure, but you never heard of them. I actually bought lure from a couple of, of guys like that uh, today and, and yesterday. We, boy, we talked to some interesting people. Um, let's see, what else did we buy? I bought way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought some more 120s. To, last year I bought a box of, a new box of uh, Duke 120s and I didn't even get them out of the box when the first shed burned down. And so uh, that whole box was toast, unfortunately, and I, I replace that I bought another box of those and the the big buy for me was I don't even know if I bought any other traps aside from the end of the day pretty much end uh, toward the end of the day today I stumbled across some traps that were um, do you remember the guy that was uh, whose booth it was that name will come to me eventually. Uh, I don't remember uh, but anyway he he had a bunch of Russ Carmen's traps, and most of you guys will know Russ Carmen. He was a legendary trapper. He still gets around, still traps, as, as far as I know. But these were 120s that were painted camouflage, and they had Russ Carmen's trap tags still on them. And I am a sucker for nostalgia, so I thought, how cool would it be to uh, to be able to say that I'm trapping with some of my Martin traps uh, are. Uh, or Russ Carmen's traps, um, traps that he used on the mink line. So I thought that was really cool. Not not much of an opportunity to be able to do that. 
So yeah, I overpaid on him. I I was able to talk him down a little bit, but I paid about I I paid a little more than what I would have paid if I got him new. Uh, but uh, I think they were well worth it. And got a little bit of lure. Could have bought a bunch more lure. Um, but that's pretty much uh, much the gist of it. I get some wire. You can. You, it's a good time to get wire because you don't have to pay to ship it. Wire's heavy. So I picked some up. Actually, they had a little auction last night. Got some wire at a pretty good deal at the auction. So let's talk about the people that you meet. And you, do you remember anybody in particular from last year you talked to that you saw again this year? Oh, geez. Not, not good with with that lend with names. <laughs> uh, Just describe him. We probably I can think of. Him. I can think of uh, Eric. Eric that traps. Eric. He's from Maine. He traps out west uh, for Bobcat. Eric Martin. Yep. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. He, he's a, one of the most passionate guys about when it comes to trapping that I've met. And uh, he sticks right out. You can see him in out. He's tall and skinny, and and uh, he's got a unique look. And he's always at that circle at the demo under the tent because he's always asking questions and wanting to learn new things. I really enjoy talking with him. He's a great guy. But it, uh, he did not go out west this year. Um, had you heard that? Had you talked to them? Or had you been around when I talked to him? No, I wasn't around when you talked about that. So so he actually ended up staying in Maine, and he trapped coyotes in Maine. He uh, he, he trapped around that southern Maine area. And uh, he was working, been working with Neil all summer, Neil Olson. So he he didn't get out, but he's make, there's some talk about going out west. So I'm really excited to hear if he goes out, uh, back out west, maybe to South Dakota this, this coming season. See how how he how he works out for him. Uh, who else we got? Of course, we got Neil. He's around uh, all over. Always fun to talk to. Uh, we talk we talk with some a lot of the same guys with booths with equipment, supplies. Uh, a lot of the same many of the same guys on the demos. Uh, I mentioned Trapper Don. Talk. Uh, JP Wilson was there. Jerry Braley, he's he's a common uh, common guy out there. Uh, Jason Vance, he did some some canine and stuff. So, so on, uh, he did a demo on canine trapping, and he since last year actually went out to uh, Texas and uh, Texas and New Mexico, I believe, and he trapped out there. So. Uh, there were, was a lot of those, and then so many familiar faces. The mink guys, remember the yep. mink guys from yep. last year? Yeah. And they're from New York? Or, uh, uh, it, some from New York, some, Vermont, yep. Pennsylvania. Yep. So Don, states. Don Powell has the minktrapping.com, and you can tell the mink guys from a mile away, they all got the mink trapping shirts. Yep. That's almost like a little... It's kind of a little group that comes up from those states, and they're all, that's what they focus on for sure. It's like a little tribe, yep. and those guys absolutely get into mink trapping. And I'm just like, man, how can can people, a group of people, be so dedicated to one species that they come up with all these ideas? And yeah, they have uh, Minktoberfest at Don's place every year. Um, that they they rant and rave about how how cool that that whole event is. That I think they usually get about a hundred people there. And they do a bunch of demos and, and get out and. Talk, basically talk mink trapping um, 
So maybe we should transition into the actual demos because I thought maybe it'd be interesting to talk about the, the mink uh, trapper from New York that did the demo. Uh, his name is Jeff French. And he traps in, I believe, in upstate New York. And he did a demo on mink and rats. What was your impression of that one? Oh, I thought it was great. I'm uh, hopefully going to trap a few mink this year. So I was definitely interested to hear what he had to say and about seeing pictures of his sets. He had a lot of pictures with him. He had, oh geez, <laughs> probably over 50 pho photographs that he had, he had, you know, put notes on them and then passed them around so everyone got to see them. Uh, different pictures of sets and catches. And uh, what did he take with him when he brought, he came into the tent? Oh, he had a he had a huge tote. It was like a coffin. He had a huge tote, and uh, someone made a comment that he was gonna if he was a body was gonna come out or a person jump out when he was done. Uh, he just kept pulling stuff out of it. Somebody called him the MacGyver of trapping, and he there were some things there. He had more ways to anchor a trap than I've ever seen in my life, and it's just. And last year he did the same demo, and I'm still blown away by it. He has he makes these little things like for instance he'll take a rubber small rubber garden hose and he cuts uh, cuts them at little short pieces like two or three inches long and cuts them at an angle and to where the uh, conibear trap will squeeze right on them and they they're like a bracket and he'll drive uh, a nail through that or a spike some sort of spike he talked about using those solar spikes with the little solar lights are on and, and he'll use that, drive that into the ground, and then clip the trap onto it. He had he super glued he super glued stuff to to the walls of uh, bridges with uh, liquid nails. Yep. And then he'll anchor the trap to that. Um, man, he's got so many different yep. ideas. Yeah, he said he goes to the junkyard and finds stuff and makes it work for mink trapping. And I definitely saw that that he's not necessarily. He's buying some equipment, but a lot of it's uh, made made from scratch. It's his own design. Yeah, he he taught me one thing that I just again one of those things that hits you and you you just amazed at how dumb you were for not thinking of it. <laughs> but you know, I've got I've got about sixty conibear traps right now with or body grip traps with Connie pans on them. And I'm, you know, I like the Connie pans; they work great. Uh, but they're they're about a dollar a piece. And once you ship, you get them shipped; they're over a dollar a piece. He's cutting out this uh, sign material, so it's like a corrugated plastic, that like uh, those uh, what you see on election signs and other signs. And that corrugated plastic is nice and light. It's uh, it's pretty sturdy. And it's just the right size. You can cut it out to any size or shape you want. And then the little corrugations, those little holes in between the two layers of plastic, you can stick your triggers right through there and you've got a Connie pin. Bend your triggers down. You could glue them in, like you were mentioning about gluing them in. Yeah, if they were falling off, you could definitely throw some glue on there just a little bit. That should work. They were pretty light. I was, I'm almost wondering if you got to add, maybe add a little weight to, to make it the same way to the Connie pan, but maybe you, I don't think you do. No, those Connie pans are, are pretty light. I know there's some weight to them depending on what they are, but they're they're not real heavy. 
and, and a guy may have to, you know, maybe the surface is a little slippery, maybe you paint that or dye it a little bit, get get something under there to rough it up, but man, another thing, hey, I learned almost every demo, I, I learned something new on almost every demo, how about you? Oh, definitely, multiple things, and that's uh, just touching on YouTube and stuff like that, uh, I always seem to learn more from demos at uh, the convention than I do from videos from on the internet. For one, I'm there in person to see it, and maybe guys aren't giving out as much information on YouTube videos, or aren't as accomplished trappers as the guys doing the demos at a convention. Uh, so they're definitely giving a huge amount of information for free. Yeah, it's amazing. In in Okay, so I did want to talk about a little bit of a theme that I picked up on that I, I wrote down somewhere here. Um, I think last year, the common theme that I saw guys talking about, what, and we still heard it this year, was getting more youth into trapping and sharing, sharing that information. So th there's, we used to be in a, a time when trapping was a, a make money proposition. Guys were doing it for profit. And they didn't want to share any information because they didn't want to uh, let the competition learn what they knew. So it was very secretive. It was very hard to, to learn anything. You kind of had to learn on your own. Most of the guys in the 70s and early 80s, they learned from reading Fur Fishing Game. One of the guys commented that Fur Fishing Game was pretty much the, it was the source of information a lot of trappers used, a lot of young guys used to learn how to trap because it was the first one that was actually uh, openly sharing that information. So that was pretty pretty cool. Uh, so the theme that I picked up on this year, because I heard like three, four guys say it in a row, and what it was was competition is good as long as competition is honest. So uh, that Jeff French, someone asked him about that. He's trapping, he's got all these college kids around. I think he's near Paul Smith's college uh, in, in that area, upstate New York, Vermont area. And he's got all these kids that are close to the university that are, are trapping along the roads. He's trapping mostly road crossings for mink and rats. And he said that, he said, he said sometimes he'll, he'll have to hide some traps because he might lose them. Yeah, what did he do to, to that cut down on his theft to almost nothing? Uh, he painted all of his traps uh, fluorescent orange. <laughs> and I'm gonna guess that he, like the uh, road paint they use, uh, road crews use to mark where like culverts are going to be and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that's the color paint he used. So uh, yeah, he, sprayed down his traps with that and if people take them uh, it's going to be very obvious that whose traps they are yeah they better get it quick and they better get some other color on it uh, uh, or, or it's going to be it's going to be obvious and he said he said something about the wardens all know uh, uh, he said the wardens know know that all my traps are that color and there's a lot of them out there oh <laughs> <laughs> well, he's talking about traps or wardens but anyway uh, that he he said that a couple of other guys that we'll talk about in a minute uh, talk really uh, emphasize that competition as long as it's fair as long as they're not stealing your traps or setting right on your traps um, one guy said I don't mind a guy sitting next to me as long as that animal doesn't get it have a chance to get caught in his trap when it's caught in my trap basically that 
too close. And in Maine, we have a, you have to set four feet away from another guy's trap, so that typically isn't a problem anyway. Um, but if the competition's fair, uh, all these guys said, it makes you a better trapper. It drives you. And guy that we'll talk about in a minute, Red O'Hearn, he said that a lot of times he, he may not, you otherwise would not necessarily get out and remake sets and go in the rain and make all these sets in really tough conditions but if you know the other guys getting ready to do it if you don't do it you, that really drives you that'll, that'll oh, get you definitely like for me on if it's uh public land uh here in maine and i know that there's a large rat population on bog where i am there's very few of those uh in the area it's tough to find a lot of rats so if I find a spot and I know I can catch 20 30 rats in there um, I'm gonna be there the first day and I might even be there a little bit in the dark the first day to try to try to get some sets in just in case someone else shows up yeah ab absolutely um, you remember Harry Seekins the canine demo the guy with the the white beard he was I think he was the first one in the morning yes this, this morning that was really cool he's He's an old timer, man. He's he's been trapping. He said he's been doing it for forty some years now, uh, every year, and uh, he, he just absolutely loves it. He talked about preseason. He drives all the stakes. He, he does anything he can do to prep that's legal, and he just goes hard. Absolutely. Now that's the guy uh, you were talking about. That the way he makes his dirt hole. You're thinking of trying. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. He. Um does his dirt hole almost straight down into the ground instead of at an angle um, facing out towards the trap bed like uh, is traditionally done a lot of people talk about teach it that way um, and then because it's straight down the dirt hole is he uh, actually puts his trap very close to the to the dirt hole uh, for coyotes and fox um, yeah, because they're, they're naturally going to need to go closer yeah, to see the bottom of that hole. Uh, the, yeah, definitely. It was very close. Uh, the, the jar and the trap was tucked right up close to that hole. I think he got, he said he left two, in, two inches of sod, and then his, basically his trap jaw was right, yep. right behind there. So that was a, a unique way to do it. Uh, he was talking about using deer hide as a lure holder and pinning it down. That's another thing that, oh geez, we should talk about remember the night owl lures guy. Uh, remember him? Well, you bought some. You bought some lure from him, yep. I think. Uh, Jim Geffert. He he's a night owl lures also in New York. Uh, he he was starting in the demonstration, and at first I didn't really know. I hadn't watched his demo before, and I didn't know much about him. So I was kind of just like. You know, I, I don't know what he has to say. I'm not really sure if, if this guy is a, a pro or, or what. And by the end of the demo, I was like, this guy is an absolute pro. And, and I just just listening to him talk for 20, 30 minutes was, was really informative and gained a lot of uh, information, a lot of respect for him as a trapper and as a lure maker. So what was I getting into about him? Yeah, he, he was talking about his dirt holes he likes to make them small, and, and a couple of these guys are talking about small dirt holes. Now some other people might like really, really big dirt holes for eye appeal. He likes them small because he's on location, he's getting the animal 
in that area anyway they're gonna smell and go to that hole and if it's a small hole it narrows down the place where they're gonna tend to step and step possibly on his trap band. If it's a real wide hole he can come in at a number of different angles and he can be offset a little bit. So the small hole and the deep hole. So he had this special tool. I, I ended up buying one. That was a funny story. He had his, a special dirt hole track. It's kind of like a trowel, but it's really like a, a core sampler at the same time. So it's like a T-handled thing with a, a long, straight handle. It's really heavy-duty metal. You can pound it down into the dirt, and it's the size of his dirt hole he wants to make. And it's almost like uh, a trowel material that is super long. It's eight to nine inches long on the blade end, and it's curved into the exact shape of kind of like a half circle. And the open half, he drives that down and he spins that with the T-bar on the top. He'll spin that that trowel around and it'll like grab a core of, of the dirt and he pulls that out. So it kind of allows him to pull the dirt out of the hole and makes a round, long, small hole and he'll stick his lure lure holder and his lure down to the very bottom of it because it, it, it really makes sense right if, if you if you just have your hole three four inches deep and you have a cotton ball there or sheep wool he'll go in there and claw at it and he'll grab it grab the edge of it with his with his claw maybe he pulls that cotton ball out why is he going to investigate the dirt hole yeah he talks about that they if the animal gets it out quickly um, you're pretty much in a rough spot because the animal's going to leave. Yeah, why would if, it if you haven't If you haven't got that animal to step on the trap yet, you've lost your opportunity. And you could, if, if it's deep down in there, he could be there for minutes. Uh, and he's going to be stepping the entire time. Yep. And, and the other, we're going to talk about Zagger. Zagger was, Mark Zagger was the last demo. Um, we'll, we'll hang out for just a minute before we talk about him, but... He, did, he talked about the same thing. He said his pipe dream set, there's a guy that has a, a video with a coyote working a pipe for seven minutes. Yep, yeah, he mentioned that, uh, seven minutes at the set. Think about how many times that paw is hitting the ground and has a chance to step on the trap pan. That, that's, that's what you need. The other thing, the reason I thought about him is he talked about where you wanna put, if you're gonna put a visual attractor or a guide like uh, say a dropping, where you're gonna put that is gonna, if you put it back on the back side of the trap pattern, uh, opposite of the, of where the dirt hole is, or the pipe is, or, or, or your backing for your flat side is, that animal may just walk up to the dropping and never go past the trap pan. So it's something to think about. You, He likes to put things like that uh, any added attractor right at the base of the hole or or down the pipe in, in the hole if it's urine for instance so let's talk about a few other guys I got I had a little notebook and I was going right steady with the notebook oh I want to I want to share a quote I'll probably write write this up on trapping today but uh, Neil Olson was you know he kind of he organizes everything and he he asks questions once in a while uh, going back to Harry Seekins that old timer that was just real passionate about trapping and canine trapping and I wrote this down as a quote Neil asked Harry he says how much do you love trapping Harry <laughs> do you remember that oh uh, 
he was. Uh, did he say something about running out of time? Exactly. I believe so. He said, yeah. I, "I wrote it down here." Said, "I feel like I'm in a hurry every day because I'm running out of time. Yep. I only got so many years left to do this, and, and he just loves it so much that that he's just in a hurry to, to keep keep on going and get as much trapping in as he can. That's a that's that's a pretty cool way to to live as a trapper. Um, so we had Jeff French. We had. Uh, we had Randy Cross. So Randy is the bear biologist uh, with IFNW. I actually didn't see the whole demo. I, I was listening to him under the tent, and I had to go. Uh, I had to go look and, and talk to some other people. But Randy, all every year he does this bear trapping demo, and, and he does it using bear snares, the the foot snare, the Aldrich foot snare. Uh, Randy has a formula down. I think it's between two and three thousand bears. He's. I think he said just under three thousand now. Yeah. He has helped or been part of trapping those. So. So you, like you said, you can make a lot of mistakes in the course of two or three thousand bears, uh, and you can learn just about every way not to do it. Oh, definitely. Um, they they're able to really test things and learn things because they have a lot of snares in the ground. Uh, a typical trapper in Maine who's trapping for a bear is only allowed one snare at a time. Um, so you only have one chance every night or every day to... So you can learn one thing and they can learn 80 things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you you did, you, you were right into that demo. We both watched it last year pretty in depth. I think we didn't we didn't bother to do go through the whole thing this year because I don't believe either of us are going to be bear trapping this year. Yeah, that's that's right. Last year I was I had a bear bait going with a few bear hitting it, so I was I knew I was going to try to trap just because I was limited the amount of time I could be there during the day to sit to hunt. So I figured I'd put a trap out, and I never caught anything, but I did have a couple misses, but. Yeah, he has a lot of cool, a lot of interesting comments, and, and um, there are certain things that you you just need you need to do, and common mistakes that people make. Randy pointed some of those out. Uh, one of the common mistakes is not having enough back pressure on the trigger. So he he'll put sticks underneath the trigger, and the triggers it's like a pan almost. It's a it's a long wire uh, sort of pan that goes over the hole, and the hole is dug into the trail. As the bear's walking along, he steps on that, it trips the snare, trips the throw arm, and the throw arm tightens the snare around the bear's foot. So if you don't have enough pressure there, the coons are gonna set that off. It could be every night. Yeah, I actually had that happen. So there was a little bit of coon hair there. He got he didn't get caught or anything, but it definitely probably scared him good. But they use the same trails as the bears and they usually come in before the bears as well, so and it, it could so so at night you, yeah if you have, if you don't have enough pressure I think there's a good point there's a reason why he says that because with one snare you're gonna lose a lot of opportunities on bear and you can have a lot of pressure it's it was more than I would have expected yeah because he talks about how when the bears walking down that trail it's gonna lean all its weight onto that spot if you're if it, its paw is in an area where it's gonna get caught it's gonna have to be right in the center of your your loop that's where it's critical to have that set up right so you know where Randy knows where every bear is gonna step um, he does this crazy thing he, he does baited marshmallows on sticks as the bears walking in on the trail he doesn't set at a bait he doesn't he doesn't 
think it's effective to set right at the at the bait. He sets on the trail going into the bait, but he adds these little sticks. Oh, what was that? Porcupine. Yeah, porcupine. We we should probably stop and pick that up, huh? Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> maybe so. if we had a pickup, we would. Yeah. We're driving in Cole's car, so um, good for gas mileage, not good for picking up critters or hauling a bunch of traps home. Uh, the other thing he talked about was sw swivel having a swivel you need a swivel or the bear is going to tear up that cable and staking the swivel down because uh, the swivel being staked down is what allows oh we got a bunch of cattle too We're driving by a bunch of beef cattle they uh i don't know if they look quite as good as my herd but <laughs> <laughs> oh it's always fun to see cattle um, anyway if you do, if you stake the swivel down it's going to cause the loop to tighten when the throw arm um, throws it up uh, onto the bear's foot. A few other details uh, he sets. I'm just trying to throw those out in case guys are looking for some quick pointers. He wants to catch the bear on the inside foot, which is the foot closest to where his anchor tree is, where he's going to anchor off the cable. And uh, I he went into detail on that last year when we watched it. Um, and he wants to set on the high side of that tree. So he wants them to be caught on the inside foot on the high side of the tree. Um, and and that's just a result of many, many, many years, decades of trial and error. Yeah, also to note with that, he makes sure he always says that any debris, like small saplings or anything that could get caught in your swivel, uh, you're gonna wanna make sure those are not there because yeah. the bear, if that gets bound up, bear is powerful and it can definitely start to wear put some wear and tear on that cable yeah he's he said that he cases occasionally when they do get a stick caught in that swivel and it's not functioning properly it's uh, it's real hard on the cable um, and then the last thing i want to mention is the loop size so we have to have a stop on our loops they can't get any smaller than two and a half inches and that's for of course you know the, the most obvious would be that keeps deer from getting caught but it also is to keep you from catching bear cubs um, they don't put stops on because they're trapping bears for uh, scientific study they're putting collars on them they want to catch any bear that goes in there uh, into the bait so they don't put stops but he said a two and a half inch stop will keep you from getting cubs but you need to be careful not to make that loop stop such that the loop is too big well, I think he said about three inches. You don't want to go any uh, larger than that if you want to catch 150 pound bear. Yep. So that's what I got written down yep. here because he said the difference between two and a half inches and three inches is is huge as far as ba actual bear size that you're gonna that's not gonna be able to pull its foot out of that snare. So what else? We had John Epler, Epler Fur Company. I, I like I like listening to John. We always we always frequent his booth because he's got some really good prices. Um, we tried to talk him down a little bit on one item, and uh, and he wouldn't go down. And I I understand why because I don't think he's there's not a lot of margin there in the stuff he's selling. But he moves a lot of product and he sells it fast. Uh, he's always he knows a lot about the fur market. And I always try to to pick his brain and learn a little bit about more about the fur market every chance I get I usually ask a question or two but uh, poor old John he's he's pretty down on the fur market <laughs> he has been for a few years 
uh, he, he said, I, I, I can't help but have a, a negative attitude when it comes to buying fur. You can't buy enough fur to, to pay for the electricity uh, in the building here he uh, operates. So he, he basically said what we've been saying on Trapping Today about the fur market, and nothing has changed. He said, he actually said, this is, I have a quote here, the market right now is as dead as I've ever seen it in 42, 43 years of, of uh, being in the business. He said it's similar to uh, the 1950s. There was a really bad fur market then. Um, who knows when it's going to clear out. A lot of people are saying two years from now, uh, 2020, the ranch mink are going to kind of move through the system and, and they're going to get smaller, they're going to be less production and we'll be in better shape. But uh, John was was reminiscing a little bit about the, the good old days, the fur boom, when he was a young man buying fur in the mid-70s to the late 80s. He said it was, we were in a great fur market and he went to the New York Fur District and he said it was unbelievable. There was fur everywhere, there were shops, there were fur buyers, there were manufacturers. It was just a, a totally different world. He said he's never seen beaver stay low like they have the past few years. That's, that's not a common thing. They go up and down, but they never stay down this far down for this long. Uh, John, <laughs> about raccoon, John said in four more years, if I'm still standing here, I'm still going to tell you not to trap coon. <laughs> no, it's just the market's flooded, uh, so we're not going to we're not going to get better coon prices. Uh, he did he did talk about how the caster market is hot, uh, so that's really good. The beaver market relies on coats, not on trim. The trim is hot. The coyote market's still hot with trim. Uh, foxes are not great. Rats three to four dollars. Mink six. 10 to 12, 8 to 12 maybe on the males, uh, less than that on the females. So he he did he did mention a little bit about the Chinese and what they're buying right now in China and Russia. Uh, but basically, you know, it's a down for a market. It is what it is. We just got to deal with it. Um, the biggest surprise uh, demo. Had you ever heard of Red O'Hearn? I had. And uh, he was not on list of demos that were, were supposed to be here. Um, Red is a trapper who's famous throughout the country. He is in Iowa, correct? Yep, that's right. So Red, Red is, is an incredibly accomplished trapper. So do you remember when he was sitting down and we were, we were sitting there uh, listening to some other demos? I think it was Jeff French's demo. Do you remember when uh, there was this guy with a funny hat on, and he was asking all kinds of questions. Yep. Yeah, I was. I was wondering. I didn't saw him around so at all during the day until then. I'd never seen Red before. Yeah. I've heard about him. Uh, I heard him uh, all over the place, you know. And and he was, you know, Clint Locklear had interviewed Red in the past, and uh, he has uh, a video out, a couple books out. But I've always considered him to be uh, a really quiet guy, and that was not the guy that was there uh, this weekend. He was he was really engaged, and I was like, "Who is this guy? Never seen him before." He he asked all the right questions, and he had a lot of interesting comments. And I said, "He doesn't look like 
a seasoned trapper, but he talks like he must be a seasoned trapper. Well, then all of a sudden, <laughs> that demo got done, and Neil Olson comes over to the tent and he says, We have a special demo. He said, We have Red O'Hearn is going to give a, a water trapping demo down by the pond. And all of a sudden, that guy with the funny hat got up and walked <laughs> over, and he <laughs> that was yeah. Red. Uh, that was just the coolest thing. So, so I sat out there, stood out there by the pond. Uh, I got a little video clip of him. He was he was in tennis shoes and uh, jeans, uh, up to his knees in water, uh, showing us different beaver trapping sets. Uh, he he's just such a cool guy. It was it was very well spoken, very articulate, and he could just he could explain things really really well. A very good teacher. So he talked about comp again about competition being good if you let it motivate you. He talked a little bit about trapper etiquette, making very simple sets. He did do some some beaver sets that some may not be legal in some of the states from the guys that were trapping there, uh, but still very very informative. Um, what did you get from from Red's demo? I only saw about the last half of his demo, um, but. Some things that stick out, one thing was uh, the size of his dive sticks for using conibears, and he said never bigger than a broom handle. Yep. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that, and then from other people that I have saw do videos on maybe YouTube and things like that, they're not afraid to stick a big log over their trap. I've done it. You know, a big <laughs> I've, got log. A, I've got a YouTube video with a big and log on it. It made sense what he said. Uh, the only thing sticking out of the water, even on a huge beaver, is its, its eyes and its nose yeah. um, when it's swimming up. So if its nose is going to hit that little stick, it's going to dive. Exactly. I, so. It's just its just perfect. It makes perfect sense when you think about it that way. He, he mentioned the eyes, the ears, and the nose several times. Yep. That's all that's coming out of the water. So, And those are just a couple inches off the water. He had, uh, he talked about the dam break set. Some places that's legal, some places it's not. But the dam break set was, you basically go in and break a hole in the dam, and as the beaver goes in to patch that hole, you catch him on the way in. And you can use a foothold, you can use a, a body grip trap uh, on that set. But what, what he said is he never makes a wide break in the dam. He makes a very narrow break. I think it was the the length of his boot is is oh. as wide as he makes that hole. And any guesses on to what would you? I don't think you were there. I, I don't think I was there for that. So um, my guess would be that he want he would want to make sure the beaver was going to a specific place. Uh, but I and and I that's what I would have thought too. I never would have thought. He said if the hole is too wide, the break is too wide. He's going to bring come with a big stick with him. To start patching it. Wow. So he'll put a big stick there and then he'll go with the mud and the rocks and smaller stuff to try to fill in the gaps under that and around that stick. But obviously you don't want beaver carrying a big stick in there especially if you got to need him to go through a 330 um, to that dam break. So that that was pretty uh, very informative. He also had he, he does uh, okay he had he had his foothold set did you remember, did you see that V he made with those poke sticks? Um, I don't think I did. I wish oh, I, I uh, yeah, I did. He had when he had him right behind the jar of the trap. Exactly. Yep, and that was uh, yeah, that was different. 
I wish I would have uh, got got a little video clip of that or something. I may have got a picture of it, uh, but he he took them off pretty quick. But he has just these little pencil-sized sticks, right? Yeah. And they're in a shape of a V, going down right. They were touching the jaws of the trap, the foothold trap, and the V is kind of, was kind of for the beaver as it's approaching the set. They were sticks that will cause that beaver to stick his foot down and step there on the trap. And the way they were positioned in, in a V and they're on the back side of the trap, he was he talked about how the beaver is going to move in and he's traveling with his front leg front legs tucked in against his breast, and so. I guess those sticks hit him like right around the shoulders and then he steps down and he's caught. I actually asked him, he talked about the way a beaver approaches a set in, in a stream. They'll approach always from the downstream side because they have control over their movement. Um, yeah, those are called bump sticks, that V. And he, I asked him a question about front foot versus back foot catch and he's a front foot guy. I, I thought that was interesting because the that debate, I did a post on trapping today about that uh, a while back, and that debate goes on forever. That you have so many different opinions on that. Uh, front foot, back foot, which is better, and I think both have their their uh, positive and negative aspects. What have, what, have, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, would, I think from what I've heard and seen, I would go with a front foot catch. Um, for one, I can use a smaller trap yep. and still still be able to catch the beaver with the front front foot catch. Less chance of part of the foot being out on a jaw when the trap goes off. Um, Didn't yeah. take as much water to drown him. No, that too. Yeah, and you mentioned that. We had uh, Gary Jepson. That was a tough one to hear. Um, Gary Jepson is a very experienced veteran trapper from out west. Um, it was pretty awesome to see him show up there incredibly knowledgeable he's talking about coyote trapping he actually did two demos he did one on friday one on saturday and he he talked today saturday on coyotes he talked about uh, setting edges of territories and uh, all the different ways he set up uh, it was so loud it, when he was doing his demo and he was talking he talks really quiet it was hard to hear you almost had to be right on top of him to hear what he saying yeah yeah I um, came around about halfway through and I was behind him so I didn't hear much of it uh, I think the people that were directly in front of him were the ones who were able to hear most of that demo and the thing the, the thing that really hit home with me with Gary was the number of people that asked him questions and he had a really short demonstration but the question part of it was obviously people were People who have who know about him and know what he's done are, were, were really impressed with his knowledge and wanted to understand things from his point of view. So there were a few questions that were very pointed to coyote trapping and territories, locations, uh, types of lures to use. Uh, the one that I remember uh, Eric asked was about using gland lure. So he uses gland lure in these sets on the edges of the coyote territories because the coyotes trying to run the the edges of his territory and mark areas and make sure no other coyotes are there and the question was can that gland lure uh, intimidate your young of the year coyotes which you can have a lot of them dispersing around that time of year 
uh, and he said he said it depends. He actually had a story about he went to Montana. Did you hear that one? I did. It was a long story. I, but I heard the beginning of it when he. I might have not heard the whole thing. I heard the question. I'm not sure if I heard. Yeah. So he said he was at Montana Trappers Association convention years ago, and there was a woman who had a pet coyote. No, I didn't hear that. It, okay. So, so he had. She had a pet coyote walking around uh, on a leash in the convention, and the the coyote. He had somebody had used a gland lure, I believe, and stuck it in a demo or something. And when the coyote went by that lure, I guess it's the top of its neck hairs bristled up and it stiffened right up, and it was all nervous. And he said that coyote was probably a hundred miles from home. And when when they're that far from home, outside of their home range, uh, they can tend to be intimidated by that gland lure. Uh, but if it's a coyote that's just in its normal home range, then that doesn't tend to, doesn't seem to intimidate them as much. Now I got one more, the last demo of the weekend, and it was the Zagman. What are your thoughts on the Zagger and, and the Pipe Dream set? Oh, I think that's another set that if I get out trapping coyotes, I'm definitely going to try that. Um, I liked how he he bedded the trap in a completely new new way. As far as I had never heard of bedding a trap the way he did, he really almost didn't bed it. Either he didn't have to push on the trap and around the trap to bed the dirt around it, hardly at all. Um, as well as there was a large hole underneath the trap. Um, it's a very different set um, than your typical dirt hole um, because there is no dirt covering the trap. It is uh, basically the trap uh, level with the ground or maybe down just a little bit uh, covered with a piece of wire screen and then lawn clippings, just dried grass from a lawn sprinkled over the top. <laughs> so, <laughs> not what you'd expect, huh? No, no, definitely not. Uh, everyone's using different types of wax dirt or peat moss trying to get away from the issues that happen when it rains and freezes and yeah this seems like this stays running even after a lot of rain yeah, absolutely so I was excited to see this uh, set ahead of time I'd, the whole weekend I'd been uh, remembering that I was looking forward to, to trying to pick up the information from this set because I didn't know much about it but there's been a lot of buzz right the, the whole pipe dream set was uh, in 2014 he came out with an article in Trapper's Post uh, about the Pipe Dream set and it's there's been a lot of people try it and it hasn't worked for them or didn't give it a fair shake maybe there's a lot of misconceptions around the set and what it's all about so Mark did the, the demo to try and teach people more about the set because he's just a firm believer in it now but let's go back to the beginning because this was my favorite. This was my favorite demo of the weekend. Uh, him and Reds were were standout in my opinion. Although mo most all of the demos were good, but uh, him Zagger and Red O'Hearn, neither of them ever been to Neils. This was their first time. Oh. And uh, I I asked. I hopefully they'll come back. I asked Red if he's going to come back. He said, yeah, he'd like to. It's 1,100 miles away, but. 
Anyway, would would uh, Neil call call Mark Zagger? Oh, wow. <laughs> would he call him? The... He called him Mark Swagger. Oh yes, Mark Swagger. <laughs> yep. He. Uh, what was your impression? He, he's well. He's clean, well dressed. He is professional. Um, yep. He has a, a professional job that he works, and then through coyote season, he's he's out trapping hard. About three weeks, I think he said, uh, in, at least in New York, he's yep. going hard. And he, yeah, so he does, he's in real estate, he does some cell tower stuff. But but for this portion, he's out. People associate him a lot with trapping now. And um, the guy, the guy was, he was, he's a really, another really good teacher. He was clear, loud, concise, had a, he just knows his stuff really really sharp guy and and not afraid to tell you know to to voice his opinions um, in, in in an open-minded way but he you know he he just had, he just gave a lot of stuff he gave a lot of information out there uh, it was pretty neat there were I can't I started to count try to count people uh, there were like 60 or 70 people there at the beginning of the demo and I probably close to 100 by the end of it uh, people were more people were filtering yeah. in but uh, yeah, Neil started out. He was trying to kill a little time to make sure he started exactly on time. So he was asking him all kinds of questions before the demo started. That, was, that were all kind of interesting and uh, gave gave us a few laughs. Um, but let's go into the pipe dream set. So Mark traps. The reason I was intrigued by this set is that Zagger traps in Central New York and. It's an area that has uh, lake effect, snow and rain, and it's very similar to where we trap in northern Maine, where in the wintertime they get 200 inches of snow. So a lot of water, a lot of snow, a lot of freezing, uh, wet, cold conditions, warming and freezing. So how do you keep a set operating, like a standard dirt hole set? Well, the only way I've known to do it consistently is to keep re- luring or rebating and to use wax dirt and to um, keep you know remaking sets when the weather gets ahead of you you, you just have to stop and, and remake a set uh, I I'd heard that this was more of a weatherproof set so so it was it was pretty cool but the pipe dream set he said what do you you remember him talking about the how people focus on the pipe Oh, yeah, he said uh, the pipe is not a, a visual attractor, basically. And, you, exactly. He said when you're pulling up with the truck, looking dead on at the front of the set where that pipe is, you really can't see it until you walk up. The pipe is there to hold your bait and keep it there. So, so that's probably the most common misconception about the pipe dream set. And probably it's because of the name. You know, people think, think it's about the pipe. It's not. He's got a nine-inch uh, PVC Schedule 40 electrical conduit pipe. Uh, that is approximately, I think, it looked to me like inch and a quarter uh, conduit on the outside and one inch on the I inside. I believe it's one inch on the inside. And he said you can do it with a little smaller as well, uh, but but the one inch inside is is as big as he'll go. And and I, I just sized it up quickly because that's what I use for a lot of my electric fence posts. 
I just go to Lowe's and buy a conduit and, and pound them into the ground, drill holes in them. So he cuts a nine inch piece out of that. <laughs> Remember why the nine inch piece? Um, it's, well, I think it was 13 pieces and 10 feet. Or yeah. He, it, was, he had it down to, so he didn't waste any. Yeah, it was just because that's how many yeah. you can get. Uh, a, a reasonable length of pipe and a reasonable number of yeah. pieces. So it's not exact. Um, but of the nine inches that that pipe is long, there's only about two or three inches of it out of the ground. Yeah, maybe even maybe even less. But then he could leave more out of the ground if it snowed. So that's and, more of a topic. And he's always using uh, a tuft of grass. The pipe is kind of driven into a tuft of grass. And he traps a lot of farm fields uh, where where a crop's been harvested, or you got you got places where you're going to tend to have tufts of grass sticking out, and he'll use that as a backing and he'll drive the pipe in uh, uh, mostly into the ground. And like you said, they don't see it. You can't see it until you actually get up close to it. Yeah, yeah it's pretty much hidden under that grass. Um, so yeah, it's not definitely not a visual attractor, although it is a, a, uh, a hole that the coyote can kind of try to look down into, but it can't, can't reach down into it to get what it wants. So it's probably gonna be there a while messing with it. Yeah, I think he said that uh, yeah, that's exactly. That's a great point. It's a, it's a, it's the perfect hole, perfect lure holder because they can't get it out. If you had like a two and a half inch pipe, they may be able to. If it wasn't too deep, yeah. they may be able to get in there. Um, but, but the biggest take home point for me was he said the pipe is not about the visual attractor. The pipe is a lure holder. So, why would the pipe function as a lure holder if it fills up with rain? Uh, basically, uh, there's a bunch of dirt below that, inside the pipe where it's been driven into the ground and the, the lure is just going to stay right in there. It's going to soak down into the ground, but coyotes, like as he said, uh, coyotes have a great sense of smell and the odor lasts and I think he has proven that by uh, being able to go a long time even after rain with only putting lure in one time. That's just a, that was a total light bulb moment. It's a cylinder of dirt inside the pipe that's holding your lure. Um, you, yeah, it's probably not. It's not going to be as strong when it soaks, gets rain on it, and soaks down into the dirt. However, it's in a typical hole that that lure scent, that lure smell, when it gets filled up with water in the hole, that can seep out to the outer edge through the outer edges of the dirt hole, and that is in a, a much wider area. If you can contain that scent into that cylinder inside the pipe, boy, you're way ahead because that that scent is going to tend to be much more concentrated and it's going to last a lot longer. Um, I can't remember what he was using to hold the lure. Um, like, like as an app, I think he was. No, he was oh, just sticking I, it right in. He that's was, right. He was just putting it right in the top of the pipe and maybe an inch down in at the most. He was saying he there's only two types of lures he uses, uh, types of lures to, to do this, to use it in this pipe set. He does make some, but he uses all kinds of different people's lures. And he the two types, and that I mean uh, sort of consistencies, is he, he wants either a squirt bottle, uh, a lure that's so liquid in, or liquid bait or liquid lure that he can just squirt out of a, a squeeze bottle or he wants something that's a really thick paste that he can 
kind of apply to the, the inside of the pipe. So it's going to stay there and just kind of stick there, a big gob of it. So it's either going to be like kind of peanut buttery type consistency or it's going to be a liquid that's going to go down in there. Um, you don't necessarily need to use both of those. But he did say you do, you do want to use um, two types of lures, right, inside that pipe. Um, he talked about two, two not, different ones. Not just using a gland. You remember how he, he said, "Not just don't just use a gland lure. You want to use uh, a gland lure and a food type lure." Okay, yeah. And I can't. Do you remember the exact? Uh, I don't remember the details of that. I couldn't keep up with Our, all, in all my notes. Yeah, I I think he said, "Don't ever use um, just gland lure. Always use a." always used a food based or a type of lure that they're going to want to get at and that was just oh I, that's a I, I think he said he mentioned that that's the seven minute video thing he said yeah he said i don't want a coyote to just go up to the set lift his leg and leave yeah because then if you don't get him on that first yeah. step or two he's gone he said if, if if it's more than just a marking ascent here and i'm gonna actually try to get to a food that is a more driven um, that's when they're gonna hang around and put a lot of footprints on that trap pattern. So uh, that's that's a key. I think that's a real key. Is don't don't you don't want them to just lift their leg and, and pee and then get out of there. He said you want an M44 type lure, right? Oh. Um, and that is uh, if you're not familiar with M44s out west, the coyote trappers is a lot, they're like uh, uh, cyanide that is squirted onto a coyote as it grabs uh, a sort of a toy type of, of um, so it's a piece of, it's almost like a chew toy. And yeah. they'll lure that and the coyote will grab it and pull it and then they get injected with that poison. It's a predator control thing. It's nothing that we do obviously in our trapping, but uh, the same, it's the same concept, something that will cause them to want to grab uh, paw at it, claw at it, try to get to it. And a few guys use that, use lures like that. I, I know John Graham came out with a with a lure called grab and pull for that that exact reason. And a, a few others do too. His he makes one he calls pipe dope. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, you remember his his thoughts on urine? Yeah. He. Uh, he basically was saying that most people are just, in the past, have just been spraying urine all over the place, and that was the way he was originally taught, um, leaving a trail of urine out of a, a spray bottle, possibly leading in out of the set when you leave, or uh, squirting urine all over the backing, and uh, he doesn't do that. He just uses a small amount of urine right around the base of that, that pipe. Yeah, he wants them just that. If that's going to be an attractor, he wants them attracted right to the base. Oh, of that the makes pipe. sense because if he puts it towards the top or the back of the uh, tuft of grass there, that would be kind of like the backing. Then that coyote could come around to the back. Um, if the wind isn't right, it might not even. Uh, it might smell that and just lift its leg and go. So, yep. or work it, not from the way he wants it to. So, yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, what do they use for for earth anchors? 
<laughs> a huge, huge earth anger. <laughs> Massive. About the size of a soda bottle. Do you have any idea how that... Uh, I want to know how they even made it. Like, yeah. To come up with that. Because it looked pretty close to... It's it's like this bullet stake that is yeah. the size of a little torpedo. And he, <laughs> he had it in his bag. And the guy asked the question of what he used. He, he lit up and he says... He says, oh, I was glad you asked that. And he pulls that thing out. He says, yeah. He says, yeah, it takes a little while. It can get pretty costly. You put a couple hundred, two, three hundred of these in the ground. Yeah, leave them there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, and not really too uh, paranoid about scent, huh? No, no, he wasn't. He, um, I think he said that basically uh, tells people to get out of his truck if they're too worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody even asked what do you do you boil the do you boil the pipe? And there is no such thing as a stupid question, so I don't don't want to make fun of him, but he asked he asked if you boiled the if you boil the pipe. Well, that makes sense because everyone <laughs> there's so many people that are just like super worried about scent when it comes to coyotes. Um, so yeah, that would make sense that someone would ask that question. Yeah, and, and he said, I don't care how many people over at the hardware store have handled that pipe. He said, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Don't even, don't think about it, he said. Yeah. <laughs> don't even think about it. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I had a, I had an interesting little experience of the question I asked. Do you want to, you want to go over that for the listeners? Uh, what was your question again? Uh, so my question was, he, so we didn't get it. Okay, we skipped over the way he beds, the way Zagman beds a trap. And that's, um, okay, the pipe just backing up a step we're gonna have like a two-hour podcast here we want to split this up (laughs) getting back to it's just starting to get get uh turn into enjoyable we actually just got out of all this construction and all these turns and (laughs) directions so we can focus a little more Um, but anyway he he the way he dug his trap bed and and the way he bedded his trap and covered his trap is more critical than the pipe right would you say i would yeah i would say so i and that goes back to you saying that it's not all about the pipe this set um the way the trap is bedded at least to me is and for us here in maine is more important than the pipe um because of keeping it working after rain and freezing so so what he's doing is a very tight very very tight trap bed um, very small. He wants the bed smaller than the trap when he digs it out. And he's using Jake traps. So those would be the, the J.C. Connor traps. They're awesome traps. They're the only truly square trap on the market. Uh, they're not legal for us to use in northern Maine because the jaw spread is too large on them. Um, um, i got to look into maybe whether, whether there's um, a, a different model that's similar yeah. that we could use because I like the way they look. The good thing about them is not only the shape of the jaws allows easier bedding the way he beds, but also the levers are wired. The levers are all wired. Yep. And he mentioned that it's just like holding your hand out the car window when you're going by 60 miles an hour. If, if uh, you hold your hand sideways uh, to the wind, you're not going to have as much resistance as when you hold your hand uh, perpendicular to the wind. So that's what you can picture as the, the levers come up out of the trap bed and go push through whatever's there, whether it's dirt, snow, sod, grass, clippings. Um, 
there's not going to be any resistance, barely any resistance compared to the, the traditional paddle type levers. So he's bedding the trap and he makes, he uses, because the, it's a big trap and it's fully square, he uses a Pulaski, which is like a fireman's axe. And he makes four chops. I actually, I tried to take video with my phone while he was chopping that bed, see how it comes out. But he makes four chops in the shape of a square and then he pulls, that's chopping through the sod. And then he pulls that sod out. And then he takes his, his uh, trapper's hammer. And his trapper's hammer, it's a lot longer than your typical trapper's hammer. Uh, as far as that, that blade that digs. Oh, he has that right straight coming right off the top of the hammer, uh, the double-sided uh, hammer, so, uh, yeah. And he's not really digging with it, right? No. Nope. He didn't strike the soil once with it. What, no. How'd he, did he... He just pushed and pulled with it. Yeah. And, and what he was doing was just kind of carving out a trap bed. How deep would you say his trap bed is? Uh, where the jaws rest or the whole whole The trap? center of the hole, the bottom. Uh, about four inches. Yeah, so I, Maybe I think deeper. it was four. I think Maybe. it was like four from the bottom of the trap. Okay, yeah, so deeper than that. Maybe and, five. And he, you might think, well, how do you get a trap bedded solidly like that? Well, the trap, it doesn't, you could go all the way to China with the center of that trap bed as long as the outside edges of the trap bed are tight again, tightly around the trap. Um, the levers are sitting down hard into the sod. And the sod, so then he takes his his hammer and he works and he kind of pushes and slides it against that sod and that really undersized trap bed. And he, he sets his trap down once or twice to see the size. And he keeps working it and pushing it uh, until the trap fits just perfectly in there. So he's got a perfectly bedded trap. You see, you can go and stick your hands down on it, try to push it down, it's solid. And a four inches of air space underneath that. So to to me, for a place where we get lots of rain, that it, that's just perfect, right? Yeah, also if you have, he's using uh, cable disposable stakes like Wolf Fangs or Berkshires, if, if that, for some reason you catch up on a rock and there's a little bit of cable sticking up, that wouldn't even hit your trap. If it was yep. bedded right exactly. under your, if that was put in the ground right under your trap, with that amount of space down there, you wouldn't even have to worry about it. Not even an issue. Oh. Um, actually, speaking of that, a lot of the guys are, are shortening up their cables and they're adding uh, six or eight inches of chain yep. for that reason, because that cable, once you drive the stake, if you don't get deep enough, that cable can be hard to bend down and, and mm. to get out of the way. But anyway, he's got that, and, and it can rain three inches, and that trap is still dry. That bed hasn't filled up with water. Now, once you have a tightly bedded trap, and, and he called it, like, he said, my trap is on top of the ground. And it's, it kind of is. It, it's, it seemed like it's flush with the ground. Yeah, it, I'd say the jaws are just about flush with the ground. But it's, it's much higher than we would traditionally do because yep. we have a trap setting down on the, on the bottom of that bed, re resting right against the yep. bottom of it. So so our traps are kind of, we have to dig a little deeper and get it a little down on, on a lower. I, that's the way I've done it traditionally anyway. It, <clears throat> and it's weatherproof, it's right on the ground. Because it's higher, it doesn't need as much cover. He puts on top of that 
trap. He is putting a, a wire screen pan cover, and he doesn't need to. He doesn't. Well, he does need to. He doesn't like pan covers necessarily, but he has to because of what he's putting on top of the trap. Yep. Yeah, he's uh, putting the grass on the top of the trap, and he is. That would definitely fall down, down through. Yeah. It's uh, very <laughs> fine. And he's not using a lot of it either. He's using just a handful. Like a small handful. Yeah, he took yeah. a big handful yep. and, and he's like, oh, this is too much. Grass clippings. It's just crazy how easy it is. Uh, he, he's not carrying dirt. No, you don't have to do any blending or anything. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. <clears throat> so, and he's very, very thin layer. And he said, if you don't use the, the pan cover, and you, you put a little thicker layer on there or whatever, after you get a bunch of rain and it settles down, it just looks like a trap sticking up out of the ground with grass yeah. kind of pushed down yeah. into it. But that, it, it's just, boy, it, it's it's awesome. It's, it seems like it solves a lot of our weather problems, weather-related problems. And I'm, I'm not planning on canine trapping this year, but I may make a few sets behind the house just to try this out. Uh, the challenge is uh, we, we do need to find, with our different shape traps, find a good way to to make it a trap bed quickly without having that perfectly square bed but that can all be learned now my going back to my question uh, my question was because we're having freeze thaw conditions and everything um, it's great that you know there's grass on top of the trap so it's not going to tend to freeze down like dirt would uh, or pack a lot of times you have dirt that dirt will pack hard it won't freeze but it'll it'll get weathered it'll get rained a little bit and it'll dry and it'll just pack in and the jaws can't come up through it but i said do you have any issues with the the jaws the side the outside of the jaw because it's so tight in there freezing against uh the trap bed yeah and how how did that all play out I, I, I was you were back too to me when he, uh, oh, he did geez, that. Oh, so you missed it. I, I saw you had you put your hand over his. I had to be a prop. Yeah, you had to be a prop. So he said, "Come up and, and let me show you something." He said, "You mind being a prop?" So he said, uh, "He said he held his hand out in fist, like like doing like he's ready to do a fist bump." And he said, "Put your hand on top of mine and push down." Right. Yep. And what happened? Uh. He, could, yeah. he couldn't. Yeah. He couldn't push upward, and I'm a skinny guy. I don't got much yeah. muscle, but he was pushing upward, and and he it was a lot of pressure. He it was hard for him to get that up, right? Yeah. That so he said, picture that as your hand, my hand is the trap, jaws, and your hand is uh, is the dirt on top of the trap bed, the covering the covering of over the trap. So. So you can't push up through because that's that's solid. There's pressure on top. And then what do you do? All right. So he uh, he had Jeremiah put his fist right to his right head on, and he said, uh, "Now now slips straight up through, no problem." Uh, so we there's were no like, dirt. There's no dirt on top of those jaws. So it's just uh, the jaw right up against the, the dirt. So even if it's frozen, it should come right up through. And also with the, his traps, uh, even if there were some dirt over the, uh, the springs, it should come up through, but. Yeah, so so pretty much he was saying, it's just that little, it's just that little bit of friction. He, yeah. he never has a problem with it. So that's, 
boy, that that's awesome. It, it's it's a really cool, neat set. I think more guys are, are probably going to start using it as they they kind of learn more about it and how to how to use it and the advantages that it has when when you set it up right. So that was a long conversation about <laughs> a lot of information this weekend. Um, and do you have any other uh, any other take home points from from Trappers Weekend? Well, I'd just say that I think everyone who either traps or has friends who are uh, into the outdoors that aren't trapping, uh, to try to get them to go to a convention. Um, I think that there's a lot of people that don't ever get into trapping because there's no introduction to it. I know that when I was younger, if I would have been taken to a trapping convention like Neil Olson's when I was maybe in high school, I would have definitely started trapping right then. Um, there's a lot to learn there, a lot of interesting people to meet, and a great place to get deals on trapping supplies. Yep, to me it's the big three. You, you learn a lot, you meet a lot of interesting people, and form relationships with people for that last for a long time, and you buy what you need get what you need, get some deals, um, every, everything's there. You never know what you're going to find, who you're going to meet, what you're going to learn. So anyway, Cole, thanks very much for agreeing to join me here. Uh, it's awesome. It was awesome having another person on the podcast. Uh, I could take a break from talking for a while, and I think people got another person's perspective. kind of gets boring here just me yeah, every time. Yeah, thanks for including me. So I'm going to get you on again for a future episode about uh, learning how to trap and all the, the ways that you learn and how you got started and stuff. But until then, guys, um, keep on talking trapping, thinking trapping. Trapping season's just around the corner. Get to a convention. If there's any questions you have on this information we talked about, uh, we breezed through a lot of the topics and didn't go into too much detail. There's any questions and things that you need for me or Cole to clear up and better explain, just just let us know. Um, you can contact me, jrodwood at gmail.com, J R O D W O O D at gmail.com, and uh, check out Cots Brothers. Thanks again for Cots Brothers Lures for sponsoring the podcast. Look forward to future episodes. Until next time, we'll uh, have a good one.